Good morning, International Christian Fellowship, Rome, and online campus. Pastor Jennifer here. I am so excited. It is summer in Italy, and it is summer, maybe winter, wherever you're watching from on your continent. But today, I want you to lean into the worship. I want you to lean into the ministry of the Word. We truly are complete in Jesus Christ. So I want you to have a fabulous service Wherever you are, if you can, stand up. Worship with the worship team. Say to the Lord, God, I want you to speak to my life today, and I know he will. Let's have a wonderful service together. So I would like to invite our speaker. And the speaker today is uh, Dr. Alicia Shirley. And just a little bit, bit about her before she comes up. So we are looking at... Uh, someone who has a doctorate in leadership and mentorship, spiritual leadership and mentorship. And she's an award-winning writer. She's a speaker. And obviously, she's a mentor. She, I saw the family before. Yes, so she is married to Barry for the last 30 years with three wonderful children. Interestingly, she, you are going to listen to a former atheist that God has used powerfully. Amen. So I want us to put aside all her degrees and her experience and expect a spirit-filled woman of God. I invite you, Dr. Chin. Thank you so much, my brother. Thank you. Good morning, family. It is an honor to be with you and a special welcome to those joining us online. Gratitude to Pastor Jen and all who've made today possible. King Jesus. He is near the brokenhearted. King Jesus, he is near the wounded. King Jesus, he is near all who breathe. And so today, may King Jesus make us whole. Amen. Amen. Family, when we study the Gospels, we begin by considering questions of context. We ask who said what to whom, when, where, how, and if possible to discern why. Then we identify a timeless biblical principle, and we seek to apply that timeless biblical principle to our 21st century lives. This morning, I'm going to rearrange that process ever so slightly. We're going to ask most but not all of the questions of context. We are going to identify a timeless biblical challenge and principle. We will spend a good amount of energy wrapping our minds, wrapping our lives around that principle. And then at the very end, we're gonna take that principle, reinsert it in its original context, and ask the final contextual question, the question of why. So I invite you to join me as we consider some of the less heartwarming words of Jesus that we perhaps should not be surprised that no one's ever made a greeting card out of. Turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 15, and we will begin in verse 7, where Jesus says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. 
Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Again, Jesus says, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Questions of context. Who said what to whom? Well, Jesus is speaking to two groups of religious leaders, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem to evaluate him. What is being said? Jesus is quoting from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, which reads, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Who said what, to whom, when? The timing of this passage is interesting. Immediately before this, Jesus fed the 5,000, and he speaks to Peter about having little faith. Immediately after this, Jesus speaks to a Canaanite woman about having great faith, and then he feeds the 4,000. So this passage is in between a miracle and faith sandwich. Where? We're at Gennesaret on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. How I think we can safely say that the tone of this passage is confrontational, and we'll leave the why for the end. Again, Matthew 15, 7 through 9, Jesus says, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are about rules taught by men. Vain is from matin, which means fruitless, to no avail, without any results, to no end, folly. So, evidently, the people in the Old Testament faced a challenge that the people in the New Testament faced, that we face today as well. It's a challenge of distinguishing between forms and substance. A challenge of distinguishing between forms and substance. You see, the people of the Old Testament and the people of the New Testament, they honored God with their forms. They said the right words at the right time. They did the right things in front of the right people. But their hearts, the substance of faith, hearts that worship God in spirit and in truth, their hearts were far away from the living God. And Jesus in this passage passes his hand over forms that lack substance. And he says, vanity. Forms without substance are vanity. A timeless biblical principle, a timeless biblical challenge. Every generation must expend the energy to distinguish between all of their forms and the substance God is longing for. So allow me now to layer some illustrations as we begin to wrap our minds and wrap our lives around this timeless biblical principle and challenge. Now, is my brother Yao in the room? Okay, 
All you will need to do is stand there. All you need to do. Now, let's say my brother Yao was thirsty. And I said, my brother, I can take care of that. And I go to the kitchen and I get a mug, a cup. Now, it's just a form. Does it have any substance inside of it? Well, no, it's just a form. And I hand it to my brother Yao and he says, well, thank you, but the form without any substance is useless to meet his need. And I say, oh, my brother, I don't know what I was thinking. And I put down my form and I go back and I get a good bottle of water and I pour it over my hands and I try to fill my hands up with it. I've got the substance now, but no real transferable form. And I say, here you are, my brother. <laughs> so whereas the form without any substance was useless to meet his need, the substance without any transferable form was unusable. Hmm? Thank you, my brother. We need both, don't we? We need both form and substance. They're dependent and yet distinct. Another illustration. Consider the modern orange. To my rather unagricultural eyes, this orange only has two parts. It has the peel, it has the form, and then it has the substance, the stuff inside that I want to get to that tastes good, that gives me my daily dose of vitamin C. Now here's a question for you. Is the form necessary? Yes, it is. The form protects the substance. The form preserves the substance. The form prolongs the substance's life. But is the form the substance itself? No. No, they are dependent and yet distinct. Now, what if I were to become confused? What if I were to start thinking that the form was the substance? The form was the most important part. The form was what would strengthen me and refresh me and give me my daily dose of vitamin C. I am so convinced that the form is the substance that I'm going to take a bite. Are you ready? What do I taste? Yes, yes, I taste bitterness because form without substance is bitter. Form without substance is vanity. But how easy it is truly to confuse the two. How easy it is to confuse singing for worship. How easy it is to confuse reading the Bible for obeying God's word. How easy it is to confuse coming to church with being the church. And how easy it is to see form and substance confusion in other cultures and in other generations. But to miss form and substance confusion in our own culture, in our own generation. To miss seeing how we are passing on hand-me-down forms to the next generation and wondering why they're not as excited about it as they should be. Now this principle of distinguishing between form and substance, it saturates the teachings of Jesus. We could spend a month of Sundays looking at how Jesus was trying to get people to realize that what God longs for is the heart. 
But I would like to spend a few minutes instead talking about three ways in which form and substance confusion causes chaos. Form and substance confusion causes chaos in our pursuit of unity, our pursuit of ministry, in our pursuit of integrity. So consider first how form and substance confusion causes chaos in our pursuit of unity. A long, long, long time ago, after I graduated from college, I thought I was gonna become a lawyer, but God redirected me and he sent me to the Far East as a missionary. And when I was preparing to go there, I knew that I wanted to present myself as a modest woman of God. And so modesty in my culture at that time, in that decade, it meant the long, 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 long dresses that went all the way to your toes. Now, I know they've come back, but they're a lot cuter now than they were then. But it also meant, because I lived in South Texas on the border of Mexico, everything we had was sleeveless and we gave ourselves a little bit of breathing room. So I sewed myself a whole wardrobe of what we called granny dresses, whole wardrobe of dresses. I wore my favorite navy blue one when I got off the plane in Hong Kong, and I was greeted by these beautiful female Chinese ministers whose skirts were above their knee, but who would have never, ever, ever bared their arms or had a neckline below their collarbone. So we were in the airport staring at each other. And we had a choice to make, didn't we? We could have looked at one another and said, well, that's an immodest woman deceived by vanity. Or we could look at one another and say, maybe modesty takes on different forms in South Texas in 1982 than it did in Hong Kong in 1982, which is what we did. We looked at one another, we laughed, and then we did the only appropriate thing you can do under the circumstance. We went shopping. And we bought me an entire new wardrobe for my ministry time there. What's funny is that I couldn't wear any of it when I got back home. Family, sometimes what divides us has nothing to do with anything Jesus died for. There's a group of women in my life, they are mentors. They are all in their 80s and 90s, beautiful souls. And every year I spend a time, a prayer retreat with them. We were around the dinner table once and they were sharing about this music that had come into their church that was grieving them. It was some kind of incredibly loud music and I'm eating my soup wondering what on earth has happened to their church. They talked about how studies had been done about this music and that the rhythm of the music was so contrary to the rhythm of life that studies had been done. They played the worship music in the presence of farm animals. And when they played the music in front of farm animals, cows stopped giving milk because it was so contrary to the rhythm of life. Chicken just up and died, just died because of the... And I thought, I cannot... What? kind of music. Then they started mentioning songs. And I realized, oh, the kind of music that is grieving my sisters is my music. Th those are my songs. Those, that's how I'm connecting with God. And while I stayed in complete silence during that meal, which was definitely the wisest posture I could take at the moment, 
I realized, you know, this is an issue of generational and perhaps cultural form and substance. You know, some of us prefer the hymnal, don't we? And some of us like singing off the wall. But what is the hymnal? It's a book. And what is the projector? It's a machine. They're both forms. And unless they are filled with the substance God is longing for, hearts that worship God in spirit and in truth, Jesus is going to pass his hand over that hymnal and that projector equally and say, vanity. Hmm? When it comes to our pursuit of unity, form and substance confusion creates short-sighted judgments and long-lasting divisions. Consider the chaos form and substance confusion causes in our pursuit of ministry. And by that I mean service, wherever it is that God has planted you. I think that we all can remember in the home, at work, in church, a form that used to work. Do you remember? Like for me, it was timeouts when my children were smaller or whatever it happens to be. There was a form, there was a system, and it worked. And now, not so much. But our natural tendency as humans is to keep dragging that old form with us and putting it in place and standing back waiting for it to give birth to the substance we remember and the substance we long for. But form isn't the creator of substance. Form is the caregiver of substance. Form isn't the source of substance. Form is the servant of substance. And without substance, even the most beautiful of forms is going to dry up really, really quickly. So with this timeless biblical challenge in mind, I'd like us to reread a familiar passage, Luke chapter 5, verse 36 through 39, in which Jesus says, no one tears a patch in a new garment and sews it onto an old one. If he does, he'll have torn the new garment. The patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one drinking the old wine wants the new, because he says the old wine is better. I think that the leaders that Jesus was speaking to, they loved counting their forms. They loved measuring their forms. They loved measuring people by their forms. And I think they, like us, prayed prayers like, oh God, would you do a new thing? But what was unspoken was this, and while you're doing a new thing, could you use our old forms because we just finished the flowchart? And God says to us all, I am doing a new thing. Even now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? But some of the old forms may not be able to carry the new. The leaders that Jesus was speaking to, they were not willing to release what they could count in order to receive what could set them free. What a pity. What a pity to treasure the cup more than the life-giving water that it holds. When it comes to our pursuit of service, form and substance confusion, it creates tired practices that are fought for even after they've become lifeless. 
And consider the chaos, form, and substance confusion causes in our pursuit of integrity. The harshest words of Jesus were not reserved for those who did not know him. The harshest words of Jesus were reserved for hypocrites, for people, for us, whenever we think that what man can see and count is a substitute for what God always sees. Consider Jesus' words in Matthew 23, 23 through 24. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Woe to me. Woe to us. We tithe, we give faithfully, and we need to continue. But are we also attending to the more important matters? Are we fighting just for justice for the helpless? Are we showing mercy to the broken in mind and body? Are we being faithful to our covenants, to other people's covenants? Jesus continues, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, clean the inside of the cup and dish. And then the outside will also be clean. He continues, verse 27 through 28, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. Friends, family, people may see us and call us the star at the office. We may be considered the hope of the family, but God searches our hearts, and there is no substitute for integrity. When it comes to our pursuit of integrity, form and substance confusion, it creates an arrogant religion. It breeds a polished hypocrisy. Timeless. Every generation must distinguish between forms and substance. So now, let's take that principle Let's reinsert it in its original context and ask what prompted such a rebuke from Jesus to those who were listening. Let's go up back to Matthew chapter 15, looking at the first two verses. Some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. I remember the very first time I read this passage after Jesus interrupted my life, I thought, you've got to be kidding, really? Hand washing? I mean, I know everybody needs to wash their hands, especially in this day, but this seems like a small thing. This seems like nothing to make such a big argument about. This is form, clearly. Clearly it's form. But it wasn't so clear to them, was it? The tradition of ceremonial washing of hands was a sacred tradition. It had been passed on generation to generation. It was actually recorded in the Mishnah. It had become a matter of conscience. And it was enforced with fervor. To break this tradition was seen as a sin against God. One rabbi, Rabbi Joseph, said, to eat with unwashing hands is as great a sin as adultery. Another rabbi, a rabbi, Akiba, 
was in prison. He was given two glasses of water, so the story goes, one to wash his hands, one to drink. There was an accident, one spilled. What do you think he did with the remaining one? Did he wash his hands or drink it? He washed his hands. And later on, he said that he would rather die than to eat with unwashing hands. So for these beautiful people whom Jesus was speaking to, the form had become substance in their minds. And no doubt that form and substance confusion, it put roadblocks in their pursuit of unity. No doubt it wreaked havoc in their pursuit of ministry. No doubt it caused chasms inside in their pursuit of integrity. But you know what saddens me the most? Their form and substance confusion caused them to miss the manifest presence of God. They couldn't see Jesus. They couldn't see Jesus. They were so concerned about the dirt on his disciples' hands, they couldn't see the eternity in Jesus' eyes. May God help us. May God help us. May God help us honor, honor the traditions that have served other generations well. May he help us honor the traditions that have served other cultures well. May he help us hold our forms rather lightly. And may he help us have the wisdom to free the next generation to love God with all their heart, mind, and soul in a new day. May Jesus help us not spend our limited amount of energy being offended by what does not offend him. And so I invite you to join me in just a few moments as the worship team comes of prayer. A few prayers for reflection. And as we pray, I invite you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you allow him to reveal anything that he needs to today. Father God, in your mercy, we ask that you would reveal to us any way in which we devalue other sincere souls simply because of their form. May your Holy Spirit bring revelation to us in this moment. I ask that you would reveal to us names, faces, people we have dismissed that you have not dismissed. Give us your eyes to see others. Father, we also ask that you would reveal to us any circumstance in which our hope for service and ministry is in forms instead of substance. God, grant us revelation. Maybe it's at the office. Maybe it's in our family. Maybe it's here at the church and there's an old form we're dragging behind us and it's slowing us down. Open our eyes, Lord. Place new wineskins near us for new wine. Father, we also ask that you would reveal to us any hypocrisy that we have justified in our lives. Oh God, search our hearts, search our minds, search the private, unseen parts of our heart. Lord, is there sin there? Are we caressing anything you were crucified for? God, lead us to repentance. 
lead us to repentance. Lead us to repentance. And Lord, we also pray that you would reveal to us any way that our focus on form is blinding us to seeing you. Oh Lord, we want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. Lord, as your people, like your disciples then, we still have a lot of dirt on our hands. But help us not to let that miss the eternity in your eyes. We want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. My Savior, I pray for this group of people. I pray for this community of believers. That you would never, ever have reason to pass your hand over the forms they use and call them vanity. I pray that every form utilized in this place would be a servant of the substance you long for, that this community would be one that worships you in spirit and in truth until they see you face to face. For the glory of Jesus our King, amen. I'll tell you what, the presence of the Lord is so real to change your life. So today I wanna to invite you to pray with me. Maybe you would say, Pastor Jen, the ministry of the word and the scripture today really challenged me to draw closer to Jesus. So right now, I wanna invite you to say to the Lord, I wanna give you all of my heart. So I want you to repeat this prayer with me, and then I want you to send me an email later and let me know I'm making some new decisions to go deeper with Jesus. Dear Lord Jesus, you say it, dear Lord Jesus, I ask you right now, come into my heart, change my life, help me to walk closer to you, Jesus, than ever before. I trust you and I receive your love and I receive your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. That is the best prayer you have ever prayed. And you know why I know? Because the Bible says, choose you today who you will serve. So every day, you have to wake up and decide, Lord, I'm going to trust you in this day, in this circumstance. I also know that there are so many who have big needs. They have big prayer requests before God. So I'm praying with you right now, wherever you are, that the Lord would surround you, that in this very moment, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would come and descend in that room of listening, in that living room, in that dining room, in that car, God, wherever someone is listening right now, and that their faith would jump alive, that they would hear you saying, I'm not done. I'm still working on it, says the Lord. I've got a miracle in motion for you, so I want you to believe with the Lord. I want you to walk in victory, and I want you to know that the Lord is with you. And Father, we thank you for the miracle testimonies that are in the making that we're going to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I also want to thank you for being a part of our online campus. I thank you for your online giving. I thank you for the way you're investing in the way we invest in people's lives. It's not just for today. It's for eternity. And so I want you to say to the Lord, God, how can I do more for the kingdom of God right where I am, whether I'm online or on campus? There are so many wonderful activities. You need to check out the website. You need to click for registrations. There's going to be so many wonderful things that we have to offer this summer. You may go on vacation, but we don't take a vacation from Jesus.
Remember, Jesus is with you wherever you go, and we must stay connected. So take advantage of online ministry and online giving to stay connected to what God is doing in you and through you with the body of Christ here at the International Christian Fellowship of Rome. I love you, and I know this is going to be a fantastic week for you.